So we've been looking at faithful, and I want to recap, as we always do when we're in a message. We want to be a people who are full of faith, and we want to be a people who are faithful. And in this series, we're exploring what faith is, what it's not, and how we live our lives full of it. And this is the season, as all good gardeners know, when certain things grow. So we believe by the Spirit this is the season for the growth and application of faith. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we're talking about faithfulness. It's the season to grow the fruit of faithfulness. And take heart. For those of you who aren't ever in your garden or who would always say, I kill everything, things take time to grow. Normally when you take a photograph of it, Claire always, I've said this before, when I go and buy plants, partly because I don't want to spend the money and partly because I love growing things, I buy the smallest plant that I can and it frustrates the life out of Claire. And I love it because it grows to maturity if I care for it. So with everything that grows, um, I think it was Anna or Isaac recently, we were saying, you've grown like 10 centimeters in a year. And they're like, well, I didn't notice because you're the one doing the growing. So take heart. Even if you think that these things are not happening, you're still here. You're still coming. And I would encourage you to continue to respond at the end as well, because God will do things to you, in you and through you that you're not even aware of. So take heart. We're growing. Okay. So some definitions. Faithful. So faith, this is Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. Confidence is support, substance, steadiness. Assurance is the internal persuasion from him. So the Greek word, I hope you're getting a handle on this, like katalambano, it's a little bit more awkward to say pistis. Sounds like piston and other things. Pistis, from patheo, to be persuaded, come to trust or, to, or faith. Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, for the believer, it's God's divine persuasion. And therefore, distinct from human belief or confidence, yet it involves it. And the Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so that they can know what he prefers. Okay? Full, well, full is a measurement. It means containing or holding as much or as many as possible, having no empty space, and it means not lacking or omitting anything complete. And Colin Woodward's definition of faithful is fully persuaded by God. It's not name it and claim it. We are not talking about, I believe the Lord has said that whatever I announce I will have, I want a red Lamborghini. You may get a die-cast toy one but likely you're not going to get a Lamborghini. Now, you may walk on a journey and you may be in the place to do that. I would ask you to be pretty sure that that's the right thing to be doing at that time. We're all about abundance here. God gives us things to absolutely enjoy, but we want to be wise. But likely, let's start where we are. If you're in the place uh, where you're able to buy a Lamborghini, uh, let's go for coffee. Um, (laughs) But let's... God, let God persuade us about the things that we should be asking him for. We're not about name it and claim it. Let's listen to him. And if he is saying something that seems completely, completely out of this world, seems completely ridiculous, what I would encourage you to do is come and share it with us. And I guarantee you that you might be surprised and we may go, this seems completely insane, but it also sounds like God. 
Because we're fully persuaded too. And there's strength in numbers and there's strength in being yielded to leadership. And we will pray that thing in. And we are well used to seeing a few storms. We recognize that everything that God does is tested. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural resurrection. We're all on for that. But let's only be fully persuaded by him. God's not a genie in a lamp, nor is this a national lottery. I'm going to pray for this, because why not? Well, maybe. I'm going to pray for this. Well, maybe why not? And then you just end up being all disappointed. Well, why don't you just pray about that thing that you're fully convinced of? I never thought of that. This is about relationship. Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. People are forever saying, if I give my life to Jesus or if I go and do this, he's going to call me to be a missionary in Africa. I, maybe a couple of people have met and they really, really wanted to do it. And those who really, really didn't want to do it and followed through with it anyway started to really want to do the thing that they didn't want to do that they started off not wanting to do. He works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's good and he's kind. He's not mean. You're all staring at me. Not so sure about that now. Not so fully persuaded. It's relationship. So what are you full of? I went through the list last week, and I'm not going to do that again. It's on the podcast. Took a brave while to put together and to read out. But there's lots and lots of things that we can be full of. And God always, always displaces something to replace something. So when God comes to you and says, see that thing that you love that's absolutely destroying you, you need to give that up. And we go, oh, don't, no, really, really, don't let it do it. So it's a security blanket. You know, like Charlie Brown and Linus with a security blanket. We just like to stroke that wee thing. But look, because you're doing that, you're not able to embrace the things that he has for you. So if God is asking you to give something up, let me prophesy to you, he's going to add something to you because he's asking you to give it up. Don't be afraid. I know that it's scary, but he is very, very good. God creates a void to be able to fill it. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. John 1, 4, 18. So on this journey of becoming faithful, this is the bit we all don't like. Being full of faith, God will drive and drill out anything that has taken the place of fullness of faith until we are fully convinced and persuaded by him and by him alone. Because if you're anything like me, there's lots of things that I've been persuaded by that aren't of him. And this whole process of having my mind renewed is learning to let him persuade me of what is actually true. We think about things in such twisted ways at times. And because we've always thought of them that way, or the generations before us have thought of it that way, or we're taught in the schools that it's that way, or in books that way, or the movies that way, I love Sleepless in Seattle. I love You've Got Mail. I love all of those romantic comedies. It's just the music turns on and there's, you know, you say a slight crossword and then you come over and you're like, I'm so sorry. I just love you. I will never leave you. I haven't found marriage to be a whole heap like that. Because I was enculturated by Hollywood. Fully persuaded. Unless it feels this way. Not that I'm recommending that you watch Love Island, but if you listen to them, well, mate, if it feels good for you, you crack on with her. If it feels good, it's up to you, mate, it's your best. Feels good for you, feels good for you, mate, that's good. Crack on with her. 
Okay, lads, that's what she had to do. Three days later, she left me for someone else. Oh, my cheese, a bleep. If it feels good, me a crack on with that. Let's be fully convinced by him. There's no other way, honestly. We've all done it. We all get disappointed. We all think it doesn't add up the way it should. We come with our equations as the thought plus feeling equals reality, and then reality hits us like a freight train, and God all the time is going, no, it's a different way of thinking. And because we don't think it's sexy enough, the way he thinks about things, but yet those people who have those things that we desperately want have yielded themselves to something that's not that attractive to have beauty grow in their lives. When you meet God... He can look like the wizened old woman with hair coming out of her face. And the enemy looks like this gorgeous blonde standing there in a bikini. But when you get to know Jesus Christ, he is the most beautiful person that you will ever meet. He will challenge you. He will say things to you that will cut you in two. But he will cut you in two to cause beauty to come out of you. I'm not even talking about the thing that I thought I would be talking about this morning. Maybe that's okay. He is good. So let's let him displace the things that we shouldn't have to put in place the things that we should. Okay, so if you want to follow with me, we're going to read from Romans 8, 31 to 39. I'll give you a second to go there if you want to. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written? For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. And that word literally means completely and overwhelmingly victorious. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must settle that God is the one. You must settle that he is who he says he is. And the word that Paul uses there for, for I am convinced is that word pistis. He is fully persuaded. You need to be convinced that he is God, that there is no other like him, that he has no beginning and he has no end, that he is all-powerful, that he is absolutely not like us. He does things differently to us, and naturally we do not think like he thinks. God has no other competition with anything or anyone only when we are allow our attention to be drawn to other things that would persuade us otherwise. And we are deeply, specifically, and intimately known and loved by him. And Jesus, well, you must settle that Jesus Christ was born of a woman who had never had sex. Never. Impossible with us. You must settle that he died and he was re- resurrected not to die again. 
The others went on to die again. I heard this recently. This was in a, and it was in a Bethel podcast. And like anything, when you hear something and you think, I have never seen it that way before, what I do is take a lot of time to meditate on it, ponder it, think about it, obviously in line with Scripture. Is this just out, out of bat or where does, this, where does this stand? And I am utterly convinced that we need to know this. Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son from death to life. But what happened to the son? He died. He was brought back to life. But what happened to him? He died. Unless you raised the Shunammite, you'll get this. You'll handle this to me saying. The Shunammite woman's son died, came back to life, and died again. An Israelite man's body touched the bones of Elisha and he stood to his feet. But ultimately he, okay, the widow of Nain's son who had died, Jesus told him to get up and he did. But ultimately he died. Jairus' daughter died, raised to life and died again. Lazarus, that dramatic story that we all love and we've all pulled apart and there's so much to learn and it will, Lazarus isn't about right now anymore. He died again. Holy people at the moment when Jesus died. I love this verse. Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, now this, this hit me this morning. At that moment when Jesus died, the resurrection power was released. It wasn't Sunday or the three days later. It was released at that point because it says that the, the temple or the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went in the holy city and appeared to many people, but they're not around anymore because they died. And after Jesus, Peter raised Tabitha from death to life, but she's dead also. Paul raised Eutychus, Eutychus back to life again, but again, he's dead. Now, Jesus Christ died, came back to life, and do you see a pattern here? Or do you see the massive glitch in the matrix? We can talk about resurrection, and those things are resurrection, and I would love to see resurrection among us. That would be incredible. You want to grow a church, raise someone from the dead. But ultimately, they're going to die. Jesus Christ is not dead. Now, you're all staring at me slightly. Where is he going with this? He is the only one who came back to life and did not die again. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, If our hope in Christ is for this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. John 12, 23 to 25, But Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever hates his, is his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus was the first new man. He wasn't limited to the, um, to the limitations of the physics of the physical world that we're part of. He was, take heart for those of you who have lost people who love Jesus, you're going to recognize them. 
They're not going to look a whole heap different to what they look like when you first saw them. They might look younger. They'll guarantee you they'll look a heck of a lot healthier than they did. Jesus was recognizable. He also could not be. Do you remember? As the disciples went on the road to Emmaus, and then they opened, Jesus opened their eyes, and they were able to see him for who he was. Mary, she turned around and saw him, thought he was the gardener, and then went, it's you, Rabboni. He could walk through walls. That's pretty cool. But the lesson in that is he's not bound by the dimensions of our physical world anymore. He could eat. He could cook. He could be physically touched. He invited Thomas to do that. And after that, Thomas said, you are the Christ. Jesus was the first seed to germinate. He rose differently than any other one that died. He was similar but not the same. He is no longer limited, and he ascended to the Father to never die again. And he is still alive right now, and by his Spirit. Hi, Jesus. Can you make that leap? We're not just sitting here talking about him. He's here. That seat there, right to your right, Anzi, sitting beside you, Stuart, just behind your back, Aaron. He's embracing Tissy. He's giving Hillary a kiss. He's doing that in Peter's head. He's right here. By faith and what we have been told, he is right here. That is the world in which we are called to live. Do you believe it? We are born into a world that says, like Thomas, unless I see. And Jesus Christ says, you don't play by those rules in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the doorway is that you believe it and then you see it. If you don't believe what I'm saying to you, I dare you. Let yourself be persuaded. Matthew 18.3, And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'm loving my word searches. If any of you want to do this, if you go to Bible Hub and you click on the verse that you want, if you go to the lexicon, it's on the far right-hand side, it literally pulls out the exact uh, uh, translation of what each of the individual words are. And I find it incredibly helpful. So this morning when I was prepping this, when I talked about little children, I thought, I wonder does it give an age barrier? Because we're finding that between Anna and Isaac, Isaac is six and Anna is eight, coming nine, going on 81. And they are very different. They're in very, very different stages. And lo and behold, when I looked at it, it says, this word means a little child under training, perhaps seven years old or younger. So Anna came out to see me in the man cave. I've been out there. And I said, would you send Isaac in? And I said, tell him everything's okay. And he came out like this, what do you want me for? I said, it's okay, son. I just want to ask you some questions. So pulled him close and I pulled him up on my knee. And I said, um, Son, tell me about God. And he said, he's really kind. There's nothing bad in him. At that point, I lost it. I was like, Poof. He doesn't leave anybody out. He can raise people from the dead and he can heal anyone. He looks after the whole world, even fish and sharks. <laughs> he's really kind. Now, most of you know Isaac. And from a no age, I remember sitting at the dinner table and 
I noticed that he'd taken the last bit of bread and he was trying his best to butter it. He would have been between three and four. And I said to him, Isaac, what are you taking the last bit of bread for? That's for everybody else. And he went, I was buttering it for you. I started to weep. I made a huge assumption. And I have told people uh, before he's really kind. And the amount of times people have said he'll grow out of that, I'm not so sure. He's hardwired that way. What does he say about God? First thing he says, he's really kind. Why does he see the kindness that God has? Because God's kindness is already present within him. The world can try and beat it out of him, and they will try. But I guarantee you that that tree of kindness that the Lord has planted is an oak of righteousness. And whatever ivy tries to grow up at, he's going to have one man in his life who's going to go down and say, Son, you're kind. He has blue eyes. They're not likely to change, nor is his kindness. So we become like little children. Isaac just says it like it is. He comes out with the most profound wisdom that I've ever heard at times. He's also incredibly annoying at times. He, he's hangry beyond anyone I have ever met. At times he'll apologize to you after two bowls of shredded wheat and say, I'm sorry for how I got on there before. He can be difficult. He can be incredibly frustrating. He struggles with things. Doesn't find things easy. Looks at his sister sometimes and goes, why could you do that? My God. And my answer is, I don't know, we're all made differently. But here's what you can do. And sometimes we parent them really well, and sometimes we get it all wrong. But he is a little child, and he's under training, and he knows who God is, and he knows how to recognize him. And he has deeper questions, and I love his deeper questions, and sometimes I just go, well, you know, sometimes it's really hard to understand those things. But he's a little child, and he's under training. And he's got Jesus Christ within him. And he's a part of the kingdom. He's a little child. He's under training. We've made it all so complicated as we've grown up. Well, you know, I'm not so sure about that yet. Used to accept that and used to be okay. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to grow down again into the simplicity and the, and the innocence of a child. So let's change and become like little children again. And you can say to me, you don't know what I've experienced. And you're right, I don't. But if you change and become like a little child as you approach the Father, he will remove the sting from the circumstances that still hurt you. He will draw wisdom and training from what's happened to you, heal you up, and cause you to become who you were created to be. And like Isaac said, he's really kind, and there's no bad thing in him. I want to just touch on, and I think later on in this series we'll go into this in a little bit more detail. But let's talk a little bit about double-mindedness. This is James 1, uh, verses 1 to 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. have to tell you I'm not there yet. I don't see a challenge or get a phone call or something comes up to me and I go, this is joy right here. I do like what it produces a little bit further on. Maybe that's the beginnings of maturity, but I'm still not at the place whenever the trials come along. And I think, it's another one. No more plain sailing for me. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe. 
and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is Romans 8, 5 to 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It is wanting to live as a new man whilst thinking like the old. It's like trying to run while you're lying down. It's like trying to cool down, being beside a fire. It's like swimming in a pool and wanting to be dry. Do you get the picture? It's the dilemma that we all feel, like, like being torn. You want to um, get over your, any issue that you might have about poverty-mindedness? Start tithing. I guarantee you the minute that you... Um, start to uh, consider those things. If you're a member, then you've already agreed to do that. But as you start to consider those things, I guarantee you all of those feelings of, well, what if, and I don't have enough to do that, and oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But actually, in your spirit, you desperately want the tithe. It's the right thing, and you do it, and you've, if you're a member, you signed on to it, and that's what you've agreed to. But those two things are present, aren't they? Whenever you need to make a leap to do anything, those two things are present. You're thinking with two minds. Isn't that right? Am I just on my own? Let's have crowd participation. Yeah, we do, don't we? We have both of those things going on. And you'll say things like, I'm torn. Oh, just, just don't know what to do. That's not actually true. Most of the time we do know what to do. We just don't like or want to do the thing that we actually should do. Please, I'm talking from preaching to myself. I've settled tithing a long time ago. I'm done with that, living the benefits of it, not an issue for me. But whatever it is that's going on for you, those two things are present. That is double-mindedness. The soul, the mind, will, and emotions is literally hell-bent on being against what the Spirit desires. So you're going to have to decide which one you yield to because you will not live all your days in a position of being torn in double-mindedness. In some ways, if you're still torn, there's still hope. If you're no longer torn, either it's great and you've yielded yourself to the Spirit and you'll have the benefit of that, or you've just decided, sure. I was talking to someone during the week um, and they were just expressing a kind of a, "Ah, whatever. And I went, oh, no, not the whatevers. Come to me with your, it's really hard. I don't like it. I don't like that God's asked me to do this. I'm finding it really difficult, and I really just want to do this, but I really know that I should do it. I'm good with that. No problem at all. I will help you be fully persuaded to go in that direction because, A, it's my job, and B, I know it's, it's the right thing to do, and God is good, and if you yield to him, you're going to have life in all its fullness. We all know what that yields to. You'll get satisfaction for a minute, and after that, you'll have a sore stomach from what you've just eaten, and eventually you'll throw it up. So the double-mindedness and the instability is that we're persuaded one way, and we're persuaded the other. So you have got to decide where you're going to let yourself be persuaded. It's like wanting to live as a new man and thinking as the old, lying, running down, trying to keep cool, lying down by the fire. It's like swimming in the pool and being frustrated that you're getting wet. 
We want to be free, and yet we think like a slave. We want to live like a saint, but actually we believe we're sinners. You've got to change what you're thinking. Decide what you want to yield to. We ask for change with faith that we do not sometimes have. Sell it. God, I really am struggling. Stand with that man that said to Jesus, I believe you. Help me overcome all of the other stuff that I'm persuaded by as well. Help me overcome my unbelief. We are not perfect. I don't have it all together, nor do you. But we are walking on a journey towards wholeness in Jesus Christ. Yes, aren't we? We trip and smash our face. We come to church with black eyes spiritually and sprained wrists. But keep coming. You'll get healed up. And somebody else will trip and fall and smash their face or cut their face or get a finger lopped off or whatever else. And please, in humility, go over to that person and say, I've been there and it hurts, doesn't it? Can I talk to you? Can I pray with you? Can I support you? Let me help you. You're not going to find condemnation here. If you do, come and talk to me. That's not what this house is about. We must commit to one mind and be fully persuaded by what God says. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may know your name. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You want to see him? Choose him. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and lead it away in obedience to Jesus Christ. Like the five-pound note, you hold it up to the light. If it's counterfeit, you get shot of it. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse or deceptive tongue crushes the spirit. Use all of those things to be able to get a handle on what it is you're thinking about. If you're torn, you're between those two places. So believe me, you're more than you think. Let's go back to Romans 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, completely and overwhelmingly victorious. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. That word for demons there isn't actually demons. That word is principalities. And actually in the Greek it talks about rulers from the beginning. So we're talking about like high level mafia mobs with massive influence, fingers and pies that you didn't even know that you were eating from neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Now you decide whether you can say yes and amen to this with me. There is nothing that we cannot overcome. Because he's already overcome it. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. Could I get you guys up, Nathan? We are victorious. You are victorious. I would say it if I was you. I am victorious. Whatever obstacles in your way, you can overcome it. Nothing can separate you from how deeply, specifically, and intimately known and loved you are by God. Not 
a thing. Nothing, not ever, not yesterday, nor tomorrow or today. Not a thing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. According to the measure of faith, which is pistis, God's persuasion that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and not all members of the same function, so in Christ we who are many are one body and each member belongs to the other. You need faith to function. You need faith to function as who you are and that's what we're going to look at next week. But you need to be persuaded by God as to who you are to be able to function as your part of the body. And if you let me do my job, and then you do your job, we'll do our job all the better. Would you stand with me? I was uh, watering my hanging baskets, as you normally do. And one of them was slightly doing my head in, because if you listen to a plant watering it that's hanging up, everybody switches off. Really? They didn't come to Gardener's World, they came to church. But as you pour the water on the hanging basket, you can hear it hit the ground really quickly. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the plants got so bone dry that it actually repels the thing that it needs to help it grow. Now, they could all die and I could get some fake plants. Really? Don't do that. What do you do with a plant that's got that dry? You get a bucket, you fill it with water, you stick it in the bucket, and you let it soak. Because when we're dry and we're hard like that, we become impervious to the thing that would help us. Why do I say that? If you're here this morning and you may look like you are, uh, there's life and things are growing, but you and I both know that you are dry as a bone and you don't even know how to receive what he wants to give you. Just come up. Come up with no agenda and soak for a while. It's not about you. It's not about what you have to do. The only thing you've got to do is respond. So as always, I've got some questions to help you do that. Do you need to or want to sell that God is who he says he is? Do you struggle either at times or right now with being in two minds? And finally, do you want to live like the overcomer that you really are? you can answer yes to any of those things or you just need to soak come and join us at the front door so Holy Spirit as we respond as we respond Lord we stand here by faith that these are not just words that it's a reality that is real that you are here I would ask you close your eyes and sell that just as I'm here standing in front of you that he is here standing in front of you that what he says goes because he's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he's all powerful there's no competition he died once rose to new life showed us that that's where we're going we are the new men and women and the world is desperate for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed so Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that as we worship, you would increase your presence. Because it says so in your word that you're enthroned on the praises of your people. And we ask that you would soak us and drench us this morning. That we would no longer be impervious.
fist to your presence.